Welcome to the Perfume Making Podcast with me, Karen Gilbert. And in today's episode, I want to share some of the materials that have made their mark in modern perfumery. Last week, we talked about the naturals, bergamot, rose, jasmine and sandalwood, and the impact that they've had in iconic fragrances over the years. And today is the turn of some of the synthetics that have been used in the industry for a long time, but are not so well known to the general public and have really come out into the open only in recent years. The landscape of fragrance has evolved dramatically over the years, shaped by advances in technology and a growing desire for new olfactory experiences. So today we're venturing into the realm of a few aromatic materials and their transformative effect on contemporary scents. There are so many that I could have chosen, but I think these four have really made the biggest impact and are definitely ones for all budding per- in a variety of different scents and blend harmoniously with natural compositions too. In fact, Try blending some of them or all of them with the materials that we talked about last week. So if you created an accord of the bergamot, rose, jasmine and sandalwood, you could pick any of these materials and add some to that accord. You could pick actually even all four potentially or a mix and match of several. So use them as an experiment. And so what are those materials? They are ambroxan, hedione, isoe super and Calone. So we will talk about where they come from, their usage in perfumery and some well-known perfumes that have made their mark because of them. Okay, let's start with Ambroxan, which is one of my faves. So Ambroxan, or should I say Ambroxide, is a synthetic aroma chemical that has really become a cornerstone in the world of modern perfumery. It is celebrated for its warm ambergris-like scent. And this compound is known for its rich, woody and musky characteristics with a slightly marine nuance that makes it really versatile and actually quite deep. Even though it's quite transparent, it has a depth to it. So ambroxan is actually derived from sclariol, which is a natural compound that is found in clary sage. And it is produced through a complex chemical process that was patented in 1950 by the fragrance house Fermaniche. So to be clear, ambroxide is the generic name for ambroxan. We, you know, we, we throw around the name ambroxan nowadays, but actually the, the generic name is ambroxide. Ambroxan is actually a trade name which was introduced onto the market originally by Henkel, but is now... Um, a trademark belonging to the KO Corporation. So strictly speaking, when we talk about Ambroxan, we are talking about a very specific product from a specific manufacturer. And there are lots of other variations from other suppliers too. The most common one that we see is Ambrofix, which is Givardin's version. So in 1988, Fermanish also um, invented something called Ambrox DL, which was a new chemical synthesis route to avoid the clary sage shortage. So companies are always tweaking their molecules. And then fast forward to more recent times. So this actually was um, created in 2014, but I only became aware of it last year, actually. And that is a material called 
Ambrox Super. And that's a Fermanish product that has been produced by way of white biotech. And we actually talk about some of the biotech materials in the Natural Isolates Masterclass. And I will put that in the show notes. And from their website, this is how they describe Ambrox Super, a highly diffusive um, material, and it brings a unique ambery effect from top notes to dry down. And this is something that happens with a lot of these types of molecules. They don't really fit into the traditional top, middle and base note structure. They often move all the way through the fragrance from top to base and actually have a more linear effect. So following on from their website description, um, Ambrox Super delivers all of the promises of sleek elegance and powerful. It's fairly recently at an industry event. This was a few years back. I can't remember. I think it was last year or the year before. And the reason for that is because a lot of these molecules, when they're originally invented, they are kept captive by the company that creates them. And they don't actually release them out into the wild beyond their own in-house perfumers for a long time. So when I read that um, Ambrox Super was invented in, 20, in 2014, um, yeah, that's almost taken, well, that's taken 10 years to actually come out of captivity, as it were, and onto the open market. And smelling the two, Ambroxan and Ambrox Super. Ambrox Super, to me, is a lot more of a musky signature. So it's a bit more like a white musk. And Ambroxan is more towards, I think, personally, towards the ambergris type signature. So the synthesis of Ambroxan really was part of the mid 20th century movement towards identifying and creating aromachemicals that could really replicate the scent of natural and often rare or prohibitively expensive materials. So Ambroxan was developed as a more accessible and sustainable alternative to natural ambergris, which is a substance produced in the digestive system of sperm whales. So given the rarity, the consistency and the cost issues surrounding natural ambergris, Ambroxan really offered a way to achieve similar olfactory effects without harming wildlife or the environment. So wild crafted natural ambergris is found washed up on beaches and is still used in perfumery and it doesn't harm the whale. Whales are not killed for it. It's just found on beaches primarily in New Zealand, but mainly it's used by niche artisan brands because it's simply neither cost effective or consistent enough in odour profile and production, you know, in, in collection for huge commercial brands who are selling millions and millions of bottles every year of perfumes that their customers want to have the same smell time and time again. So it's a bit hard to say when Ambroxan was first used in commercial fragrance, just because proprietary formulations and generally, as I've said before, these molecules are kept captive for a while. But Ambroxan did start to gain popularity by the general public, at least, or the knowledge of it in the latter half of the 20th century, where it was really used to add depth, warmth and complexity to fragrances. It acts as a fixative that can also enhance the longevity and also the projection of the scent. 
and it's been used in a wide variety of fragrances from niche to mainstream, which does demonstrate its broad appeal and its versatility. And so Ambroxan's introduction really marked a significant evolution in fragrance composition, which really offered perfumers a new tool to create complex, long lasting scents. And its ability to mimic that elusive quality of natural ambergris with a contemporary twist has made it a staple in the perfumer's palette. You know, we see it in many, many, many fragrances nowadays. And Ambroxan really is appreciated for its really smooth, almost enveloping qualities. I love it, as I've said before, with sandalwood. It makes a fragrance more luxurious in my opinion you know obviously there are going to be people out there that disagree with me but I feel like it's almost like being hugged by a beautiful luxurious blanket this material is not really limited to a single fragrance family we might think oh it's only used in ambery fragrances but it can be found in fresh aquatic scents it can also be found in sophisticated florals as well as the rich ambers and it's very adaptable and I think it's a very elegant material. And I think that has what has really cemented its status as one of the most used and valuable synthetic materials in modern perfumery. So moving on to another one of my favourites. Now, some people have a bit of a love-hate relationship with this material, ISOE Super, because it has been used a lot in fragrances in recent times. And I think sometimes when a fragrance material is overused, people can become a bit jaded by it. So ISOE Super is a, another synthetic molecule that has gained a huge popularity for its really unique woody aroma. And it's often described as having this velvety, cedarwood-like scent with a touch of amber. So what makes ISOE Super particularly fascinating is its subtlety. And it's really known or talked about for adding a sort of an elusive quality to a fragrance. And it's often described as almost enhancing the wearer's natural scent rather than overpowering it. And one of the things that I love about ISOE Super is that as a woody note, sometimes we don't want heavy, chunky woods in our fragrances. We want this transparency and this diffusion and I would describe ISOE Super as almost was a, as a transparent wood. And what you'll notice as I talk about so, some of these materials, particularly with ISOE Super, with Ambrox and with Hedione when I, when I talk about that, they actually add this expansiveness to a perfume. And I think if you are used to using only natural materials, you end up with fragrances that feel quite dense and heavy especially when you are working with ambers, when you're working with florals. And so materials like ISOE Super, like Hedione, they create this almost uplifting, expansive. And I know that other people have described it like this, but I remember probably about 10 years ago now talking about these materials to um, a newbie perfumer at the time about them almost being like the rising agent in a cake, like the the, the baking, um, baking powder or the yeast in a loaf of bread. They actually kind of expand the scent, creating air and space and removing the density that you get just with, with naturals. So that is why I love them. 
And um, okay, so when did it come into usage? So ISOE Super was synthesized in 1973 by IFF, so International Flavors and Fragrances, who are a leading innovator in the creation of aroma chemicals. They're a big fragrance house. I used to work as an evaluator for them back in the 90s. And its discovery was part, again, of this quest for new and versatile ingredients that could really give a unique character to fragrances and really enhance their overall complexity and appeal. And one of the things that a lot of fragrance houses do is they're always trying to invent a new molecule. You know, we always want to create originality in fragrances. And when there are just you know, a set number of materials. It's really easy to copy other people's perfumes. And so these big fragrance houses are always trying to get the edge by creating their own unique fragrance molecules that they keep captive and really just use within their own in-house perfumery. So the molecule itself, ISOE Super, is actually a mixture of several isomers. Um, with the gamma isomer being the most significant in terms of olfactory properties. So these isomers contribute to the ingredients complexity. So they offer a spectrum of woody, amber and musky notes that are both subtle, but they are also persistent as well. And the unique characteristic of ISOE Super is really its ability to remain in the background of a fragrance, enhancing it, it rounds out the composition without overpowering it like some of the other amber molecules do and some of the other heavy woodier notes do too. So ISOE Super, although it made its debut in the perfumery industry back in the 70s, it really truly rose to prominence and it became one of those materials that we actually the public learned about. So whether you are a perfume maker or whether you are a perfume lover, it's really unusual for single molecules to be known outside of the industry. But ISOE Super, I think, was quite groundbreaking because perfumer Geyser Schoen, who launched Eccentric Molecules, his brand in 2006, created Molecule 01, which consists entirely of ISOE Super or one of the isomers thereof. And it was really one of the first times that a perfumer showcased a singular molecule in a minimalistic yet impactful way. And so this is why ISOE Super became a bit of a cult favorite. So Molecule 01 became a cult favorite fragrance and it was talked about as almost a pheromone type perfume. Um, but really you know, it was admired for its ability to just meld with the wearer's natural scent to create this unique personal aroma. Now, how much of that is true and how much of that is marketing, you know, is something that is, you know, I don't know if it's a mystery to this day, but journalists will always talk about it as a pheromone type fragrance. And then other scientists will say, well, no, it's not. And, you know, so there's always going to be a little bit of back and forth and banter about, um, about ISOE Super and whether it has a pheromone effect or not. But it is a wonderful material and its use is not limited to niche perfumery. So it has really been incorporated into so many mainstream fragrances. It adds depth, it adds warmth, 
it adds this elusive woody quality that really does enhance and polish up the overall scent experience in certain fragrance types. So you can use it in many, many different fragrance types as well, but it's primarily used in sort of woody, ambery notes um, and to also give a subtle woodiness to citrus accords and citrus colognes and also floral fragrances as well. So really the introduction of ISOE Super, I do believe transformed the fragrance industry by really demonstrating the potential of synthetic molecules. And its widespread use has really led to the development of new molecules that do kind of defy traditional categorizations. So, you know, we think about perfumes in as, you know, floral fragrances, chypres, fougeres, ambers, gourmands. But actually, a lot of the fragrances that have become popular in the last sort of 20 or so years actually are quite, um, they actually defy categorization, if you like. They almost jump between many, many different fragrance families. So the subtlety and complexity of ISOE Super have made it a really loved ingredient amongst perfumers who really do value its ability to impart this sophisticated, enveloping warmth to their creations. So moving on to another material that has really revolutionized the fragrance world is hedione. So hedione is an airy jasmine-like material and really it introduced a transparency to perfumes that was really unparalleled. And so this molecule has really enabled perfumers to craft fragrances with new levels of luminosity and diffusion. And it really stands as a testament to innovation in perfumery and gives a fresh perspective on how synthetic ingredients can really enrich fragrance compositions. So it was developed in the 60s by fragrance giant Fermaniche. And again, Hedione was born out of this pursuit at the time. I think the 50s and the 60s were a time where perfume houses were really looking to create change and different types of scents that were versatile, that were cost effective. And the actual chemical name for hedione is methyl dihydrojasmonate. And you have hedione, regular hedione, and then there's another hedione product called hedione high cis. And it was really a breakthrough ingredient enabling the replication of these delicate facets of jasmine in a stable form. And really, although it was used in many different fragrances, Christian Dior's Eau Sauvage, the citrusy cologne fragrance that were launched in 1966, was really the pioneering fragrance to really overdose Hedione as it was at the time. And I think when we talk about overdose, I think it was like 5%, which actually was quite high for the time. And I think I've read in a variety of different perfume books that, you know, at the time people didn't really think that much of Hedione. And one of the things that I do notice in my in-person classes when people, I wax lyrical about Hedione and people smell it on a strip and they're like, oh, meh, you know, doesn't really do much for me. And I think that's kind of what happened in the fragrance industry where it wasn't really utilized that much until Dior's Eau Sauvage and they used it at a much higher amount. And that is because the magic of Hedione 
doesn't really happen on a smelling strip in isolation. It's the effect that it has on your fragrance composition. So if you've sort of smelt Hedione and gone, mm, don't know what all the fuss is about, even just blending some Hedione with a citrus accord or blending some Hedione with a, a natural floral accord will give you really a, a fast track idea of the effects of it in a perfume. So really, this was the first time that a synthetic molecule could not only mimic, but also elevate the natural ingredients in a fragrance. It's fresh and diffusive, and its use in Eau Sauvage set really a new benchmark for fragrance creation. And it paved the way for its inclusion in other landmark fragrances as well. So Pleasures by Estee Lauder is one of those fragrances that Hedione really plays a major role. And its ability to amplify the freshness and vibrancy of floral bouquets was really showcased in this fragrance. And it became the linchpin in extending the olfactory palette. And it really allowed perfumers to really infuse their creations with a modern, clean feel that really resonated with consumers at the time. And the use of Hedione in Pleasures marked a significant moment in perfumery and demonstrated that synthetics like Hedione are not merely substitutes for natural ingredients, but they're really valuable creative tools as well that can enhance and expand the palette um, of perfumery. So it really did help to popularize the use of Hedione, influencing countless fragrances that followed. And you might say, well, actually, you know, Hedione is a material that has been overused, but it really does create this beautiful synergy between natural and, and synthetic ingredients and really elevates and expands a fragrance beyond anything that we could do with naturals alone. And I think I might have mentioned this before in the previous episode with when talking about bergamot, and I think we talked about Eau Sauvage then, is actually the, although we think of Hedione sometimes as a jasmine like material, it's actually more of a citrusy jasmine. And one of its beautiful abilities is to extend the citrusy accord throughout the fragrance. And so anyone who has tried to create a citrus fragrance or a citrus cologne with just naturals will find that they don't last long. You know, they're top notes, they evaporate really, really quickly. And one of the beauties of Hedione is that you can just add a bit of Hedione. It will extend those citrus notes throughout the fragrance and create a much, much more long lasting effect. If I go back to the previous episode where I shared that sandalwood was that one material that I can't live without and I would take it to a desert island with me, I think this next material, and people have heard me talk about this before, is one that I could easily live without and it's not my favorite. I don't love it as an odor profile and that is Calone. And I do have, you know, I know some people have very positive or negative visceral reactions to different materials. And Calone is one of those materials for me that even thinking about it makes my lips itch. I don't know what it is. I have this really weird um, reaction to it. And if I have to fill bottles of it, I kind of leave it till last, glove up and just do it as quickly as I can. It's just one of those materials that is just, I just have a reaction to, no idea why. However, and you might think, well, why are you talking about it on the podcast? And so this is one of the things that I really want to um, to actually share with you as well, is that 
when you work in the fragrance industry, so whether you whether you're an evaluator, whether you're a perfumer, um, whether you are creating fragrance designs for customers, you know, whatever it is you're doing, you have to actually step outside of your own preferences and you have to look at, you know, what what does the customer want? What is the brief? You know, what is the you know, the remit of this particular fragrance. And working in the industry for years as an evaluator, I, you know, I have to step out, I had to step out of my own preferences and think about, you know, what is it, what would work for this particular fragrance design or this particular fragrance brief. And so even though I don't love Cologne, even though it's not my favorite as a perfume teacher, as, you know, someone working, um, with fragrance materials and teaching people to create things in a wide variety of styles, it has to be included. It is such an important material in fragrance history um, that, you know, to leave it out would, would be ridiculous. And so what is so groundbreaking about Cologne? So it's, again, it's a synthetic material that really, I believe, marked a new era in perfumery. And that was because of its unique ability to evoke the freshness of the sea and melon notes. And so its introduction really did offer perfumers an innovative tool to create fragrances that really captured the essence of oceanic breezes and aquatic freshness, which really did enrich the palette of scents with a novel marine dimension. And this material, again, was created in the 60s. And it, again, it was the result of the industry's quest to expand its olfactory horizons. And so this particular material is known for its almost watermelon-like marine qualities. And it was a real breakthrough in synthetic chemistry, enabling the creation of scents that could really transport the wearer to this feeling of vast open waters. And one of the earliest and most iconic fragrance uses of Cologne, and actually I had this fragrance and I do remember when it came out. And it's a weird one for me because, and I don't know whether I, something bad happened to me when I was wearing it. I don't know. But I do remember having this perfume and that is New West for Her by Aramis. So it's long discontinued. And again, I had this perfume in the 90s. So I definitely didn't have it in 1988. Um, but I do remember having it, learning about it and having it much later on. Um, yeah, so I don't know whether it, it was a traumatic time in my life. I don't know. Um, but this fragrance really showcased Cologne's ability to deliver fresh, like sea, ocean, but not not kind of seaweedy, mulchy. It was really ozonic, I suppose. And this really set the stage for a real a new genre of aquatic perfumes. And I do think it was a pioneering moment that highlighted, um, again, you know, like all of these materials, this potential to really redefine fragrance categories. So the introduction of Cologne really did influence the development of this aquatic fragrance category. And it is a category that became really, really popular in the 90s. And Cologne was used in fragrances like Aqua di Gio by Giorgio Armani, amongst others. So it was in things like Cool Water, um, Cool Water for Her, Isimiyaki, Odyssey, um, and obviously Aqua di Gio. And when you look at, say, for example, we're taking Aqua di Gio by Armani and we're taking Isimi uh, Odyssey by Isimiyaki, they are both aquatic 
almost like watery florals. But I definitely think Odyssey has more of a marine type effect, whereas Aqua di Gio is more of an aquatic floral where, where the, the it's like watery droplets on, on the flowers rather than the actual seaside. And then Cool Water, Cool Water for her is really that full blown sort of like a marine type scent. And this really... Um, really cemented its status as a key ingredient for creating these fresh, clean scents that evoke the purity and tranquility of water without these kind of grubby, kind of seaweedy notes, if you like, that you would get with things like Seaweed Absolute. And Calone has really become synonymous with the aquatic genre. So it's crisp, it's refreshing qualities have really, you know, captivated um, consumers who love that type of freshness. It's used a lot in, you know, marine type fragrances, the men's fragrances, this fresh kind of whether it's a fine fragrance, whether it's a shower gel, you know, it, it's used a lot. And really today, Calone's legacy is really evident um, in both modern and classic fragrances. And its role in perfumery does continue to evolve and niche perfumers are exploring, you know, different ways that they can use it as well. And yeah, I do think that it's something that even though I don't love it as a material, it's very, very valuable in creating these aquatic accords. And so just to kind of finish off with Calone, um, just think it's because I don't feel like I've really done it as much justice as, as some of the other materials that I've talked about. You know, the key materials in this aquatic accord are Calone, Helianal and a material called melanal as well. Now you can get natural melanal now. It's not, I don't think it's as nice in odor profile as the synthetic one, which again is a melanie type note. Helianal is beautiful material. I think that's got slightly anise, anise kind of aniseedy type notes to it. Also green notes, quite a little bit of floral sea. But those three materials are really the cornerstone of an aquatic accord. So that's a little bit of a a Brucey bonus for you. Okay, so let's, um, we've talked about, you know, these materials, where they come from. We've sort of touched on some of the fragrances that they are used in. So let's dive into, as we wrap up here, the intricacies of incorporating these materials into your perfume composition. So really the skill lies in not just using these materials, but weaving them in scent profiles. So of creativity and restraint, you know, Isoe Super, for instance, due to its subtle nature, um, is often used as a base note. It adds a sophisticated velvety backdrop to brighter top and heart notes. And it really does, its versatility, if you like, allows it to be this sort of unifying element between different diverse uh, fragrance profiles. So it can be used in more linear fragrances. I know we've talked about linear fragrances in a previous episode. So it can be used, so Isoe Super um, can be used as a structural material. So you can use a lot of it in a fragrance as almost like a base structure, but it can also be used as a touch, as a blender, as a harmonizer, if you view. And Broxan, it's a warm, ambery character. It's an excellent fixative, as I've mentioned before. And it does have this ability to extend the longevity of other scents. Um, I think it can add a rich, smooth finish to a fragrance without dominating if it's used carefully. Obviously, there are fragrances that overdose Ambroxan and you and you get more of that. But I think sometimes people mistake Ambroxan in a fragrance for some of the other materials like Amber Max. And 
you know, for me, Ambroxan is very soft. It's almost got a powdery facet to it. It's not this real um, amber kind of like grip you at the back of the throat accord like materials that, you know, such as Amber Max. So I think that sometimes people think, oh, it's overdo- an Ambroxan overdose and then mistaking it for other things. Um, Hedione, um, as I said before, Hedione's magic really lies in its ability to blend seamlessly with other ingredients, enhance their qualities without overpowering them. You can overdose Hedione. Like, you know, a lot of these materials, if you put too much Hedione into a composition, it will flatline. It will blend it so seamlessly. It becomes really like nothing, boring, dull. You know, you've got to use these materials very carefully. You can use them in high amounts, but, you know, if you, you've, it just really depends on the composition. And so this is really effective in floral compositions and citruses as well, where you want this really soft, diffusive nature and it has this ability to really push out and diffuse other materials in your fragrance composition as well and create this real sense of lift and openness and think about it as a tool to bring lightness airiness floral lift um, especially if you are looking at modernizing classic floral scents as well so trying to create this transparency in them this you know an airy fresh fragrances too so finally cologne as I mentioned before, this fresh oceanic quality a really is used to inject a burst of freshness into a perfume. So one of the things that I will mention finally with Cologne, the other materials, you know, um, the Ambroxan, the Hedione, the Isoe Super can be used in large amounts and they can be used neat or, you know, diluted, whatever you like. But Cologne is really, really super strong. Um, I dilute Cologne down to 1% to use it because if you try to use it like it is literally just going to dominate everything so final wrap up for this episode you know overdosing cologne is very very easy try it you know dilute it at 10% evaluate it there but I keep mine at one and you need a such a tiny amount of cologne to have a huge effect you really really don't need to use much at all a tiny amount would be an overdose um So if you love ozonic, marini, aquatic type fragrances, it is definitely one for you. So, um, yeah, so we've talked about some of the fragrances that um, these materials are used in. So just as a little bit of a recap, ISOE Super is in a lot of different fragrances, but Eccentric Molecules Molecule 01 is this, this is where you will find it. In, its iso- in isolation. And also Eccentric 01 is a fragrance that kind of complements that by Eccentric Molecules, where it's blended with pink pepper, um, lime and balsamic notes as well. So it works very, very well with citruses. Ambroxan, again, it's in a lot of fragrances, but just to isolate one particular fragrance, if you just want to you know, experience it on its own, um, again, eccentric molecules, molecule O2 is just ambroxan and eccentric O2 is where it's paired with notes like muscone and vetiver. So it's a clean sort of musky kind of vetiver scent. Hedione, um, it's in so many different fragrances, but the one that I would suggest that you have a have a smell of is Eau Sauvage, the old school Eau Sauvage, as this is one of the first ways that Hedione was used as a, a real kind of centerpiece, like like extending the citrus note out. 
and then Cologne. Um, you know, go smell some of the classics. Smell Davidoff's Cool Water. Kenzo Pot Homme, again, is another um, fragrance where Cologne is used a lot. And if you haven't smelled Aqua Di Gio, you know, and I don't know, I haven't smelled it in recent times. It was a real sort of classic back in the day. And I'm sure it's been reformulated. But again, that is another direction that Cologne has been used to to create more of a, a transparent floral rather than a full blown aquatic marine note. So I hope this episode has been helpful for you folks, especially those of you maybe who have never delved into synthetic materials before definitely worth checking out these materials and, you know, giving them a try with some of your natural formulations as well. And um, for those of you who want to learn more about materials and do a big deep dive, um, we will be starting the Materials Mastery program on the 24th of February. So if you are listening to this in real time, there is, I'll put a link in the show notes and you can join me for four um, sessions over two weekends live on Zoom where we will be delving into lots and lots of different uh, materials, both naturals and synthetics. And the really the starting points for you, um, if you're building your perfumery organ from, from scratch and you haven't done any, bought any materials yet, um, this is definitely the class for you. And even those of you who are a bit further along, if you are finding that you find it difficult to make time for smelling, for training your nose, for learning your materials, these two weekends are going to be a fast track for you. And it's all online. So it doesn't matter where in the world you are. If you are listening to this after the event, um, link in the show notes will go to the stat, the um, on-demand program. So I'm going to obviously... Everybody who joins me live will get a recording and those will be put into the course portal so you can um, re-watch and re-listen to them at any time. And if you miss it, don't worry, um, you will be able to sign up to the recorded version. So as always, thank you so much for listening. I hope this has been useful and I will see you again next time. Mm-hmm.